Um, we are going to be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 in a few minutes. We'll talk more about that, 1 Timothy 4. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to do that. Um, just a couple other quick announcements. Um, I want to give you a new building update. I know we're kind of wondering what, what's happening with that. So we, a little over four weeks ago, had our groundbreaking ceremony. And at that point, uh, we basically felt like we had everything wrapped up and ready to go and submitted to the city. We we're just waiting on a final approval. Uh, well, that uh, final approval came back with a couple more things for us to address uh, related to our drainage. And uh, we want to be good neighbors, all the people that are around us. And so um, we spent the last four weeks addressing those comments and questions um, I got a text this last Friday afternoon from our engineer saying, hey, we've resubmitted everything to the city. Once again, it's, it's in their hands for approval. So that's where we are right now in terms of the new building, a new space. Um, and just a reminder, though, that um, while the uh, permits are in the city's hands, the city is in Jesus's hands. And so we're trusting his timing uh, and, and all things. Uh, we're, we're ready to go. We've already done some remodel work around here to get set up for whenever they demo out that hallway uh, our new entry will be back here in this corner. We've created a new entry into the kids' area for bathrooms. And uh, we've even, uh, we're going to modify this space a little bit more. We'll be able to add 24 more seats. So if you were in the last service, there was a need for 24 more seats. We had to bring out a bunch of chairs just to get everybody a seat. So um, we're, we love what the Lord is doing here in our church. And we love that you're here to be a part of it. Um, and hopefully it's more than just attendance and numbers. Hopefully um, you're part of the genuine work that the Lord is doing in the hearts of, of his people. Um, and so that's, that's what we're most excited about. Um, we are in a uh, sermon series. We're in the second week. Uh, the title of the series is One Church, Multiple Generations. And what we're doing is we're walking through the different generations of Solid Rock Church from kids all the way through uh, senior adults and looking at uh, God's word um, God's purpose for each generation, but we're also looking at how these generations really are connected to one another and more than that, interdependent upon one another. And, and next week, um, we will very specifically be talking about how this works and how the generations are here um, and the different roles that generations have. This week, we're talking about our students. So last week was kids ministry. This week, we're talking about students. And so when we talk about students, we're talking about um, that generation from like seventh to 12th grade, um, our teenagers, our adolescents, our um, preteens through about to go to college age group. And so in a little bit, we'll actually be, I'll be interviewing our student pastor, Jeremy, to talk more specifically about that. Uh, but first of all, um, we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 11. Now, this is a, um, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor. We don't know for sure how old Timothy was, um, but we do know he was very young. The wording today, very specifically, he was a young man. Matter of fact, Paul had, had, had references his childhood and his teenage years and and so we're, we're, Paul is writing this to a young guy who's probably just out of his teens, um, who's been called to pastor and lead a congregation. And so Paul's giving him instruction and encouragement on how to do that. And so in verse 11, Paul writes this to Timothy, command and teach these things. So two things. First of all, Paul is saying what I'm about to say is really important. I'm not just offering up passive advice I'm giving you some commands here, but these are not only commands for you as a young guy, Timothy, teach these things. In other words, pass them on to the other young people in the congregation. Command and teach these things. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believer an example 
in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. I'm going to start here. So that's the first Bible verse I ever memorized as a 16-year-old brand new Christian. I came across that passage and I thought, that's a passage, that's a verse for me. Now my, f- my first inclination, the first reason I was drawn to it is because it started with, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. And that resonated with me as a young teenager because what teenager, right, doesn't want the world to not look down on them because they're young, but to treat them as an adult, to treat them with some sense of responsibility. But that's not where Paul stopped. He didn't just say, hey, don't let old people look down on you. What did he say? But instead, I want you to set the example. Now, we're going to be real honest in here, and we have teenagers in the room. God bless your souls. Thank you for serving us in communion, and thank you for all that you do. But without some type of life transformation or change or decision to be different, teenagers are inherently immature, starting with our sixth, fifth, sixth graders, right? And I'm talking to the adults in the room, right? You were immature as a teenager, God bless your soul. Unless you were like an extraordinary super teen, you were immature like I was, which means that we made immature decisions. We made decisions that didn't lead to our good. We made decisions that were even hurtful towards us or especially towards others, our parents, our teachers, others around us. But somewhere along the way, hopefully, maturity began to kick in and things began to change for us. Now, maturity is not necessarily associated with an age. Matter of fact, it's almost irrelevant, right? And we try to do this as a culture. We say when you turn 16, you're now old enough and responsible enough to drive. I met some 18-year-olds that have any business behind the wheel of a car going 75 miles an hour down the interstate. You with me? But now I've met some 14-year-olds that I thought, huh, I might get in the car with this kid. But the 18-year-old, I don't think so. Why? Because age is not necessarily equivalent to maturity. Just because you turn 21 doesn't mean now you're at the age and the level of maturity to be able to handle alcohol. Right? So, but as a culture, we age stamp things to try to normalize the idea of growing and maturity. But the reality is, if it's not happening inside of here, it's not happening outside of here. Right? And so, like, my boys, I play a game with them, and it irritates them. But they're like, Dad, how old do I have to be before such and such? And I always say, I don't know. It's up to you. Ah, oh, Dad, what do you mean? How old before I get to get my driver's license and drive? I don't know, son. It's up to you. What do you mean? When I turn 16, I get to get a license and get my car. Maybe. If you are responsible enough to have a license and a car, the answer is yes. But if you're not, bro, get back in the back seat or get you an Uber app on your phone. (laughs) If you're responsible enough for me to even let you have a phone. Why? Because it's up to you. It's what you do with your freedom as a teenager, right, that determines whether or not you are going to be responsible and therefore mature or irresponsible and immature. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy, and he's telling him to pass this along, to teach this to the other young people, is this. Listen, you don't have to let people look down at you because you're young. You can do something different. You can actually set an example for believers in some real significant ways. So rather than going with the flow of giving the adults in your life plenty of ammunition to criticize you and to look down upon you and to validate what the culture would already say about you, that you are not responsible, that you're immature, instead of that, 
set an example for the believers. Now, he gives us a list of things here, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. We're not going to have time to really break all these down, but he begins with speech. Now, you can tell a lot about a person's maturity by the words coming out of their mouth, starting with, are they able to use all the syllables, right? Or do they speak in abbreviations? Now, it's fine to text in abbreviations and to, twi- to tweet in abbreviations, but like when you're speaking, right, to another human being, can you put words together with all their syllables into a sentence with punctuation? Like that's a starting point. But beyond that, what are you talking about, right? Now, if you've been around, I've got one who's about to be into junior high age and something just wacky happens to the, to the teenager's brain at about that age, um, they say biologically that their brains kind of reset. Now, they don't lose information, but they reset on their ability to process information. And so, like, we're going through this goofy stage already, right, with one of our boys, this, this teenage, preteen, about to just, he just doesn't know, come here from Sikkim kind of deal, right? So, so, right, so as a young person, right, you can go with the flow of what your generation is doing and, and, and using words that display immaturity and, 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 and a lack of Christ-likeness, or you can do something different, right? You say, you know what, I'm not gonna go with the flow of what it means to be a seventh grader or a 10th grader or eighth grader, but instead I wanna set an example, and the first place I'm gonna set an example is with the words that come out of my mouth. I'm gonna speak words of edification rather than cutting people down. I'm gonna speak words that display respect for the person listening, that esteem others rather than esteeming myself. And so the first thing he says is speech. You can set an example in speech. Now right along with that, and just as important, is your lifestyle. So he says if you're gonna set your example with speech, you need to also be setting an example with what? Your conduct, your lifestyle. It's not enough to just say, I love Jesus, and, and wear the Christian t-shirt, or my camp t-shirt, or my rise retreat t-shirt, if my conduct is preaching a different message, right? And so he says, listen, this is, this is important that not only your words display a maturity in Christ, but also your conduct and your lifestyle. And then he goes to love, which is so important, and I would say really um, and, uh, exposes a lot about the current generation that uh, we live in today, and for our teenagers. So our teenagers are growing up in a generation with a very twisted view of love. Now, just, just so you understand, teenagers, it's your parents' fault. I blame them, right? This started generations ago, this twisted idea. Actually, it's probably my, my, my parents' generation with this whole make love, not war thing. And, and this skewed idea of love got embedded in our culture that somehow love was this gut feeling that kind of stirs you towards some things and away from others. And as long as you're feeling it and you go with the flow of what you're feeling, then commit yourself to whatever you love. But if you ever stop feeling it, you're free to, to abandon, right, what, whoever you said you love. And, and, and we even give you like phrases like, just say, I fell out of love. You fell out of love. You tripped and fell, and like all of a sudden you didn't love anymore. Like this skew, there's just an example of kind of a skewed understanding of what love is in our culture today. Um, but the Bible tells us what love is. Like, like listen to this First Corinthians chapter 13 definition of love, and then I want you to think about the average teenager. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast or brag. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Does that sound like the average 21st century teenager? No. Listen, if you are a part of the next generation, what Paul is saying to Timothy and what God is saying to you is, listen, do, let's do things differently. Let's set the example for your generation on what love looks like. I know your friends like to brag. I know your friends insist on their own way. I know your friends are all about them. But instead of that, let's set an example of what real love looks like. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not boastful or envious. It doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with truth. Verse seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, what if I fall out of love? Love bears all things, including you losing that loving feeling. There's a a Top Gun reference for those of you who are in the 80s. It bears all things. Like that's different from our cultural definition of love, isn't it? Love endures and it bears all things. Even those moments in those days where I'm not feeling it. And so God's saying to this young generation, listen, rather than going with the flow, set an example for what real biblical love looks like. Self-sacrificial, more interested in somebody else than you are yourself kind of love. And then the next thing is faith. Set an example in your faith. Um, Now, Young people, just so you know, um, as adults, especially the longer we walk with Christ, the more we are prone to take faith for granted. I'm just confessing that. You already see it in a lot of folks probably, but the reality is that as we grow and mature in Christ, if we're not careful, the, the more we begin to forget that we have to believe and we have to believe and, and operate in a way that's rooted in faith rather than going through the motions of doing church. Uh, when I was a young Christian, um, I was brand new to the church, brand new to Christ. I was 15, 16 years old. And I noticed that some of the people in the church just didn't seem to have faith. It was hard to see. I don't know if you've, if you've noticed that in people, and so just so you know, like as, as an older generation, like we have to remind ourselves daily that, 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 that our faith is, is rooted in belief and trust in Jesus as our savior on year 40, just like it was on day one. And so really what the Bible's saying to you as a young person is, listen, you can actually set the example for the older people in the church who maybe have grown to a place where they're taking faith for granted. Right, so it's not just live by faith, it's no, 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 let's do that, but tell you what, let's do more than that. Let's set an example for believers in what faith looks like. And we know even Jesus himself talks about what young faith looks like and says what? That he prefers the faith of a child over the faith of an adult. The faith of a child is this wholehearted, reckless abandonment taking hold of Jesus and holding on for dear life, that kind of faith. And listen, if you are in that younger generation, if you're a teenager here today, the Bible is literally saying to you, hey, set the example, set the pace for your church on what faith looks like. That's that's a pretty big deal. And not only that, the Apostle Paul mentions purity. So evidently, the struggle for purity is not just a modern day struggle for young people. It's an age-old struggle. 
Paul is writing this letter to a young man who's more than likely dealing with raging hormones and all that comes with that and all the temptations, right, to, to move away from purity and to live an impure life. And again, I'm sure that a lot of the kids that Timothy grew up with were probably engaging in a lot of impure practices. And so Paul wasn't just saying, hey, Timothy, don't do that stuff. What he was saying is, hey, Timothy, how about this? Let's set an example for what purity looks like. Now, what a courageous challenge to the 21st century teenager. Yeah, to set an example of purity. And not just purity out of like moral, legalistic obedience, but a purity rooted in the purity of Christ. Because you know him, you know he is pure, and so you want to be like him. And Paul is saying, listen, young person, you you can actually set an example for your generation and even for the adults in the church of what purity looks like. Uh, Paul writes a similar encouragement to Titus, and in Titus chapter 2, he sums it all up this way. And think about these words if you are a teenager here today, verse seven, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works or an example. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech, there it is again, that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. If you just go with the flow of what feels right and good and what your generation is doing, you're gonna give plenty of ammunition to the opposition. Plenty of your peers will say, oh, you're a Christian and that's what it means to be a Christian, then I'm out. And that's what he's addressing here. Right? Don't, don't give ammunition to the opponents of our faith by living your life in a reckless way and going with the flow of your current generation. Instead, set the example. Show them a speech that you can't condemn. Show them a conduct that points to Christ. Show them what love looks like. Show them what faith looks like. Show them the purity of Christ through your desire to live in purity. Show yourself as a model of good works. Now, verse 13, this is, Paul shows us, he's not just talking about your moral efforts. What he also wants you to see is that you have an essential role in the church as a whole. You're not just taking up space until you turn 18 and then you've, now you've got a place in the church to serve or to be used. Look at what he says in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourselves. Devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, that's encouragement, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now that was very personal to what happened to Timothy but the point is the same. Listen, if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter what your age is. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you and he has called you and gifted you. Sometimes it's hard to see when you're a young person but it's there. For my first um, Sunday school class as a teacher, I was like, 18 years old, and I was, but I was turning and I was teaching the junior high generation. I was pouring into them and teaching them about my love and affection for Jesus and showing them how to find Jesus in the Bible. And like, that all happened as, as 
a fairly young guy. I love it when I see our, our teenagers at Solid Rock investing in that next generation, whether it's VBS or Sunday morning, or it's simply just playing catch out in the lawn before or after an evening service. Like, I love watching the teenagers of our church investing in, like, I've got kids, and so, like, like when I see the teenagers investing in them as a dad, like that just really pleases my heart. And I think that's a beautiful biblical model of what discipleship is supposed to look like. And so students, high school students, junior high students, you don't have to wait until you graduate or turn 18 or turn 21. The word of God is saying, no, no, no. If you're in Christ, you've been called and gifted by the Holy Spirit for ministry. Until I come, devote yourself to the things that you've been called to do. And not only that, look at the next verse. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. This is probably one of the most profound things that that the Apostle Paul writes here. Because see, the word practice here, it doesn't mean to repeat something over and over and over and over to become better at it. It actually means to take care of something or to care for something. Now, parents, you know exactly what we're talking about. We don't want you to clean your room to avoid punishment. We want you to clean your room because you care about it, right? Like we don't want you to do the dishes. We want you to want to do the dishes. We want you to, right, to begin to care, right, parents? If we could just get our young people to care more about the things that matter in life. We already know you care about, about things that don't matter, right? Like Fortnite and how many likes you got on your last post. Hashtag I'm a cool teenager. Like we know you care about those things, but what we want you to care about are the things that actually matter in life. And hopefully you're gonna get there someday. Hopefully. I can show you some 30 year olds that still don't care about the right things. But here's what the word of God is saying. Like, don't wait. Start caring now about things that really matter. The things of God, right? Your speech, your conduct, your faith, your love, your purity. Like, care about those things. That's the idea of practice here. Care about them. And not only that, immerse yourself. And this this word literally means be in them, exist in them, submerge yourself in them. It's not just the idea of living according to these principles, it's live inside of these principles. Don't make church and Christianity and setting an example, something you add on to your life when it's Sunday or Wednesday, but like live in these things. Immerse yourself in speech that points to Christ, conduct that points to Christ, faith and love that point to Christ, purity that reflects his image. Immerse yourself in these things. Don't just add it on like another extracurricular activity or signing up for baseball or dance. Live within these things. Immerse yourself so that all may see your progress. Now, what an encouragement and a challenge, right, teenagers, to think, oh, wait a second, I don't have to wait to engage in ministry or to to point others to Christ, like, I'm called to do that right now, and so I want to take a minute to bring up our student pastor, the one who God has called to lead our efforts as a church um, in, in leading this generation to know and love Jesus, so if you would just join me in welcoming to the stage Mr. Jeremy Williams. He, he requested to go by J. Will when he first came on staff, and I had to let him know that one's already taken. Yeah. 
You can be J. Will Jr. if you want, but not oh, J. Yeah, Will. Oh, that, yeah, that's, that's what I'm shooting for in life. <laughs> J. This Will is Jr. Pastor Jeremy Williams. He is our student pastor, which means he, as far as his role here at the church, is primarily focused on 7th through 12th grade. Um, I know he cares, more, you know, he cares about more than that, the next generation of young adults. He cares about the, the kids, um, is even involved in our 5th through 8th grade ministry. Yeah. Um, but before he is a pastor here at the church, he's a pastor in his own home. And so would you introduce us to your family real quick before we start talking about Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so this is my wife, Lauren, right here. Uh, she is a beautiful woman who I've been married to for about four years now. Um, we have a little girl whose name is Emma. It's crazy. She's fixing to be one years old here in like 15, 20 days, something like that. The 23rd, I do know the date. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, just our little family is, um, is you know, doing what we can here at Solid Rock to, to love Christ, and, um, and, and Jason's right. Uh, I'm definitely passionate about student ministry, but want to do the best I can to also lead my family well, which I don't always do a great job of, um, but, uh, but they definitely hold me accountable in making sure, hey, are you taking care of your wife? Are you taking care of your kid? Because that's the most important thing, and so that's what we try to do around here. Yeah, I know, and that's, you know, that goes right along with what we've been talking about the last two weeks, that you know, the primary discipleship mechanism for the next generation is the parents, right? And so that's true in your home as it is for our home and everybody else's home. Um, and so and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but as we get started, I just want to think about the, the struggles that this current generation is facing that maybe is unique, you know, maybe different from what we face, what I face, what you face, what some of the others in in the room of face, and so could you speak to that? Like, what do you see as some of the challenges um, to this current generation of teenagers as it relates to um, following Christ? Yeah, so uh, in thinking about this question, I jotted down a couple of things. Uh, uh, First, I think that one of the biggest challenges is we live in a culture that is very anti-gospel, do we not? Yeah, and, and just in some of the ways that that is, it's, it's what love looks like, what love means. Jason talked about that uh, earlier today, and, um, and just, you know, the culture is, is follow your heart, is, you know, love who you love, and, you know, walk out of the relationship if it doesn't meet your personal needs, and that's not a, that's not a good thing. Um, I think a challenge that we face today is, is the self-worth in the teenagers, right? A lot of the time our self-worth is, uh, is dictated by our social media likes or what somebody else thinks about us. But we know the Bible says differently. It's what Jesus says we are and, and how worthy we are. Um, I think a second challenge is that uh, there's so many things in this world that are vying for our students' attention, whether it be sports or media or extracurriculars or even social media. Uh, video games is, is, is uh, something that, you know, we just, there are so many things that are trying to capture their attention and, and remove them from what their attention should be focused on, and that's Jesus. And I think uh, the, probably the biggest challenge that, that, I, that I think is present today is just this complete, incomplete or this watered-down version of who Jesus is. You know, for teenagers, Jesus isn't our homeboy. I don't know if you've seen stuff that says that. Jesus isn't the, the guy that we call on whenever we need something. You know, the six days a week, we kind of live our own way. And then seventh, we come to church and we can, you know, check the box and, and we're good to go. But, but Jesus is our Savior. And so on Wednesdays, we very, we very much do the best we can to really promote that and really help the students to understand um, that, that he is what must, needs to be the most important thing in their life. And um, it's not what we define Jesus as, but it's what the Bible says uh, yeah. Jesus is. Yeah, he's so much more than just our co-pilot, right? For sure. So, and you know, I blame Carrie Underwood for that one still. Yeah. Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah. Like, really? Yes. It's garbage. 
I know. So, and I, I like Carrie Underwood. She's garbage. Yeah, Carrie Underwood. Yeah, Carrie Underwood's great. That yeah. song's terrible. Just her theology is a little twisted. Terrible. But I think that's indicative of this current generation. Like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to blaze full steam ahead until I hit an obstacle or something I can't do. And then that's where I'm going to say, hey, Jesus, can you come take the wheel for a minute and help me get through yeah. this? And then I'll take it back. I'm good to go now. True. And, and that's not what it looks like. And to that's have not a just a, a, a child or a student thing either. That can be an adult thing as yeah. well. But Absolutely. And, and what's so cool is the word is like challenging our teenagers to like, set the example mm-hmm. to show even the older generation what that looks like to walk oh, yeah. out in authentic faith with Jesus. Well, we've talked a lot um, over the last week and then today about like the partnership between parents and the church. Like parents have that primary discipleship role in the kids' lives, um, but a lot, of, a lot of us don't know what we're doing. And so that's where the church comes in to like help supplement that role and help equip parents um, to succeed in leading um, their kids to, to know and love Jesus. And so I know we saw a good example of that even in our last service. We did. Um, you want to tell the church about kind of the last service and what yeah, happened? Yeah, so last service we got to celebrate the, the baptism of two brothers, um, Chase and Logan Boland. Um, and, and their dad was, was here to baptize them. And, and he's, he's young in his faith as well, but I know that it was such a heartwarming thing. And, you know, you and I have been able to come alongside him where he was super nervous and just to let him know, hey, you know, it's all right. As a parent, you're doing what you should be doing to, to love your, your, uh, your sons well and to push them to Christ. And, and uh, just being a part of that ceremony was, was so, so exciting. Yeah, it is. It can be so nerve-wracking to think about being spiritually responsible for your kids, right? And, and so it would be so easy just to say, no, I'll just let the church do that. Sure. I'll handle the other stuff. Um, but, the, but the Bible paints this different picture, and, and Don's a great example, you mm-hmm. know, of somebody who's a young believer himself, and he's, like, nervous, and, like, but still, right, wants to lead his children, lead his family, and so that was a great example. So what, what, talk more about that. What do you hope that partnership looks like in the future going forward? Yeah, so when I first started about two years ago, there wasn't a lot of parent involvement at all, and uh, that was primarily because the students that were part of the ministry their families weren't even here at Solid Rock. And so um, in the last couple of months, we've really, really tried to make it a priority to do two things as far as parents are concerned. First of all, to to keep you informed, right? You like to know what's going on, and we're a growing church. We've got a lot going on, and, and some of you have multiple children, you know, kids ministry and student ministry, and so we want to keep you as informed as possible. Um, want to ask you to be a part of helping us in, in events and things of that nature. And then probably the most important thing is, is to be a helper to you because because it is 100% true that the, stu- uh, the parent has to be the student's primary disciple maker. It can't be me. It can't be the small group leaders, but it's, it has to be you. And, and we're passionate about coming alongside you and helping with that, whether it's to give you a resource to talk uh, to your children about hard things or whether you need encouragement because your teenager is being uh, less than respectful to you, which I'm sure never happens. Uh, and, and, and also probably the most important thing is for, for parents to know that as, as, a, as a student pastor, as small group leaders, um, we're trying to get your student to understand and see that we're just another person who wants to see them grow in their relationship with Jesus and fall more in love with him every day. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's what we're looking to do as far as parents are concerned for a ministry. Yeah, absolutely. And we get it. Like parenting's hard. Parenting, yeah, is. parenting well is like really hard, like almost impossible, at least it is for me. And, but when we see this beautiful biblical portrait of how it's all supposed to work within biblical community and, and, and the church comes alongside to fill up what is, what is lacking, like 
Um, that's just so, um, so encouraging to parents who are like, yeah, that kind of makes me nervous to think about God's called me to do that. Um, but then when we have biblical community around us yeah. um, to help us kind of walk that out, that's just, God, it's just so helpful. Yes, sir. Um, so I'm sure there are probably parents here today who even feel that way, like, I don't even know what I'm doing. But that's, that's where we as a church get to come alongside. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, I used to do student ministry here right. before I had kids, and I learned so much about parenting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> from my teenagers' parents, a lot of what not to do, but just watching <laughs> parents struggle. It's hard raising teenagers and just watching parents struggle, but just the willingness to get in the trenches mm-hmm. with them and just to help them, you know, cheer them on and sort that out and, and, and learn to love their kids well and lead their kids well. And so, um, so yeah, uh, I don't know if you're doing the same thing I did. I'm taking notes while I'm hanging out. Oh, with believe these me. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> Emma will be a teenager one oh, day. Oh, she will be. Yeah. She yeah. will be for sure. Well, um, let's just talk for a minute about the overall vision of student ministry and how it connects with the church. You know, our, ch- our vision for our church is that we're called to make disciples for Jesus mm-hmm. through gathering and worship, that's what we're doing right now, um, growing together in biblical community, right. which we do that in our community group setting, and then living the mission in our everyday lives, which means it's not a, a mission trip, it's like a function of my everyday life to live the mission. So right. what does that look like then? For student ministry, if we're going to be one church with multiple generations, what does that look like to students? Yeah, so earlier uh, in the year, um, what Jason and I sat down and did was we, he asked me, you know, what, what do you want to see happen with student ministry? Um, and I haven't always been a visionary thinker, to be honest. Um, and so that was really, really cool to think about. And uh, one thing that we wanted to make sure that we did is, is whatever students were going to be doing in the direction that we were going to be headed, it needed to be within what the church as a whole is doing. Um, and, you know, obviously our three uh, big focus points is, is worship, community, and mission. And so we spent several months kind of working out a mission statement, if you will. Um, and, and then part of our mission statement now as a student ministry is to make disciples, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, through worshiping him, right? That's that worship component. What does that look like? That's me getting with, uh, with Scott, our student ministry worship leader, and, and making sure that our songs are not just, uh, just, you know, something to fill a service, but is actually a worshipful experience where students can, can you know, check out from what's happening out there and come in here and really spend time with Jesus. Uh, secondly is building relationships. So that's that community component, and that happens primarily in our small groups. Uh, so um, we have small group leaders. Some of you have uh, participated in that and still do. And, um, you know, we, we break apart. We really talk about life, and we talk about the sermon that is had on, on a Wednesday night. But um, it's building those relationships that we hope will be friendships that last for a long time. And then uh, finally, our big living the mission and what we want to accomplish as, as a student ministry is to is to feel comfortable in sharing the gospel with other people. Uh, in fact, this upcoming fall, we're going to be doing some sharing the gospel training to make them feel more equipped because uh, we can all probably admit to the fact that sharing the gospel is kind of hard, right? Because we're afraid of rejection and we're afraid of not being able to answer the question that somebody has uh, that retorts back to us. And so what we're going to do is, is do the best we can to help equip students to make that a priority. Because if, if we're not sharing the gospel, if we're not getting the gospel out there to a lost and dying world, we're doing something wrong. And uh, that's what I hope for as a student ministry, we can make that a passion of, of ours. Yeah, man, thanks for sharing all that. So what I want to do now is um, I want to call you, I want to invite you to join Jeremy and I in specifically praying over this generation that we're talking about today. Like when we talk about the next generation, that includes, you know, from cradle to college, but 
you know, those who are like in those teenage years, like you're the tip of the spear of the next generation. Like you're getting ready to leave the house and to go off to college and to step into adulthood and to hopefully step into responsibility and maturity and to set an example. Um, but we realize all that, sh- that, that you're up against, you know, that's stacked up against you that wants to divert you into a different way or to, um, you know, to distract you from those things. And so we want to be a church that prays over this generation. Mm-hmm. So um, what I'd like to do is... Um, I'm going to do a little bit different, if you don't mind. Um, If you're here today and you're anywhere between going into 7th and going into 12th, would you stand up so we can see where you are? Um, We want to pray over you. And what I want to do is I'm going to ask you guys as adults just to begin praying in your own heart. Um, I'm going to read for you some of the things that I've already been praying over this generation. And in a minute, Jeremy will, um, after this, we have some time to pray silently, Jeremy will close us in prayer. So... As we get ready to pray, here's some things that I've already began praying for you guys that are standing, that God would grant you an increasing hunger for wisdom. Um, The idea of wisdom is somewhat a a lost virtue in your generation. Um, It is a noble quest to become wise, and I I pray that God would give you a hunger to grow in your wisdom. Um, And so I want to pray that over you. I want to pray that God would give you a growing affection for Jesus um, whatever Jesus means to you today, I pray that tomorrow he would mean more to you and that would continue. I also pray that, um, that God would grant you a growing esteem for his word, that every time you read it, you would learn more about who God is, more about who he's created you to be, and more importantly, you would just fall more in love with God the more you read this book that he's written to you. And then finally, um, as you set the example for us, that um, you would grow in your love for one another. And what I mean by that is a biblical example of love, a love that's enduring, that bears all things, that is patient, that is kind, that is not rude. As you set that example for us, I pray that you would grow in that, um, in your love for one another. So I'm gonna give you a chance, adults, just pray over this generation, and then Jeremy will close us out loud in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a Solid Rock Church. I thank you for a church that that cares about its young people. I thank you for a church that doesn't see um, our students as future leaders only, but as leaders of today. Um, And as Jason has talked about, first we want to pray for their wisdom. Uh, Wisdom definitely is a a lost virtue in today's culture, or what culture defines as wisdom is the opposite of what they need to be hearing. And so I pray that the wisdom that they receive and take hold of will be wisdom that comes from your word. Uh, Secondly, I want to pray for uh, their excitement and their um, love to grow for you, Lord. Um, And that comes through the reading of your word, that comes through prayer, that comes through spending time with other believers. Uh, And I pray that that students will make that a priority um, because it's true that there's so many things that want to be the priority, but more than anything, we want you to be the number one. I also pray for uh, the parents in this room and and parents of all teenagers in in our student ministry. I pray for you uh, just to equip them and help them to be those primary disciple makers, uh, to to know and and trust that we as a church want to partner alongside them, come alongside them for students to know that there's yet another adult that wants to see them grow in their faith and to love you more. 
Um, and then, Lord, finally, as, as we leave uh, this room, for the teenagers specifically, I pray that as the new school year starts um, here pretty soon, that the students will realize the impact that they can make and should be making in their friendships, in their classrooms, on their sports teams, at their workplaces. Um, the, the impact that they have, they probably don't even realize the magnitude of what you want to do through them, and, I, and they just need to be willing. And sometimes that's really hard, and, and I pray uh, against the things that, that keep them away or make them feel like they're not worthy because they are worthy because they're children of yours. Uh, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the adults in this room who are praying again for this church. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jeremy.